Well, good morning, Lakewood. I'm glad that you're able to join us online. Thank you for being with us today. Uh, we were actually pretty excited with the uh, viewership uh, last Sunday. Uh, thank you for being there. Uh, thank you for being here uh, with us electronically. I want to encourage you to stay connected as, uh, as we can do. There's a lot of things we can't do, but there are a number of things that we can do. And in that vein of can do, the transition team, even though we've had to uh, postpone our historical retreat, continues to work and research our history, understanding what God has try been trying to say to us during some of the painful experiences of our journey as a church. So I uh, want to encourage you with that. But um, let me encourage you also with some things I've been thinking about this past week. I hope you're letting God deepen and enrich your trust in him as uh, you watch such uncertainty in the world around us. Uh, there's certainly uncertainty medically and health-wise for us. Uh, been a lot on the news recently about uncertainty financially, but we trust the Lord. Let me tell you, God has a plan to use this crazy pandemic to bless Lakewood Church and to even bless you personally, even as you deepen your faith in these difficult days. I don't think many people here at Lakewood know this about me, but I had polio when I was four years of age. 1952, the last of the polio epidemics before vac the vaccine was available. And I spent six weeks in bed and it affected my legs so that I had to learn to walk all over again. There was a big red quarantine sign on our front door. I couldn't go out. No one else could come in. But as I was thinking about that experience this last week, I realized some of how God has used it to shape my faith and shape my character and to shape my relationship with him. Do you wonder why I think about my relationship with God so much as a faith walk, a faith journey? Part of it is because I'm so blessed to be able to just take a step and to walk physically, but also spiritually to walk with God who loves me so extravagantly. And listen, he wants to do sweet stuff like that for us in the midst of this craziness. We're going to study Abraham and his son today. I'm sure as we tell the story, that was a situation Abraham absolutely couldn't understand. But I want you to see beyond Abraham's confusion, I want you to see God's plan. Let it strengthen your faith in the God who has it all under control. He's going to use this, even this, to bless us. If you were with us last Sunday, you know that we're learning about the walking the pathway of faith and looking at the character Abraham, who Hebrews 11 tells us is one of the great examples of how to walk with God by faith. He obeyed. And when God said, go, I'm going to bless you in major ways. I'm going to give you a nation as your inheritance. All of the world will be blessed through you and your descendants. But go, Abraham. And I'll show you on the way where this pathway leads you. With that challenge and that uncertainty, Abraham obeyed. Hebrews says he headed down that pathway with God and God powerfully rewarded him and through Abraham and his seed, especially his descendant Jesus, 
God has blessed even us. It's a great pathway story. I shared with you last Sunday that I love pictures of pathways. There's something just adventuresome for me about a picture of a path. Where does it lead? What's around that bend? What's over that hill? And some of you have even emailed me several of your pathway pictures. Discovered some of you love those photos too. I'd love to see yours. You can email them to me, especially during these weeks of huge uncertainty. We're looking at Abraham's pathway of faith. But you know, on almost every journey, there are moments that are just plain hard. We traveled uh, with some friends a few years ago on a wonderful vacation. Uh, we had a great time, came home loving each other more than before. But there were those moments when our friends discovered that Harriet and I aren't the perfect travel companions. And we found out the same about them. There were those moments when it wasn't going to go my way, and I had to adjust. There were those moments when we had to work at understanding each other, and that's just part of the adventure of a journey. Well, I want you to know that you, if you're journeying life with God, you're never going to have to discover he's not the perfect companion. He is the perfect companion. But you also need to know that there will be times when you won't understand him. You won't quite be able to figure out what God is trying to do and where he's leading you. And that's when the road will get hard. And it's not that you won't get frustrated with God, because if you're an honest traveler on this pathway, you will. We're going to talk about that in Abraham's journey today. It was a journey that was filled with miracles and delightful experiences on the way, but it also had some times when it was hard, when Abraham didn't understand, and yet still he had to let God be God. So let's pray before we launch into this message. Father God, by your Spirit, will you come and be present with us today? Speak to our hearts. We're struggling in this world that has become so crazy uncertain, help us to learn how to walk the faith walk with you as we navigate these days. We pray in Jesus' holy name, amen. What a wonderful son Abraham had. What a beautiful, growing, mature young man. The pride and joy of his mother the delight of a father now wrinkled with age. Any child is a pleasure to mom and dad, but Isaac was really special. Special first because he was the only child Abraham and Sarah were able to have. Special also because they waited for him for a long time. Some of us have waited for a long time to be able to bear a child. But can you imagine waiting for a son for 100 years? Abraham was 100 years old when Isaac was born. Sarah was 90. Isaac was a miracle baby, to be sure, no doubt about it. But Isaac was a demonstration of God's amazing blessing in the lives of this aged couple. He was God's very best gift to them at a time when most sensible couples would have given up on having children. Abraham, uh, Isaac was special for an even bigger reason. 
Isaac was the fulfillment of God's promise. God had promised Abraham and Sarah a son, an heir, and that through this child of promise, Abraham would become the father of a great nation. Through this son Isaac and the descendants of the nation to follow, all the world, God said, would find his blessing. Remember we talked about that last week. As this weathered old man thought back on all the blessings of God, holding that child as a baby, watching those first tottering steps, hearing those first garbled words, seeing him grow ever so slowly and yet all too quickly into early manhood, there must have been a wonderful sense of God's blessing. Blessing so big, Abraham could not contain himself. But then came a day when God would put Abraham to the test. Now, Abraham's conversations with God were not vague or veiled. They were real face-to-face -face confrontations. Ever since the first day when he had heard God's call, Abraham recognized God's voice, and they spoke often. He knew God as a friend and companion, and yet at the same time as almighty master of the universe. So when God called this time, there was no doubt who was speaking, and Abraham listened. This time, when God spoke, it was to ask him the most difficult thing in all of his life. Abraham, God called. And at the voice of God, Abraham responded as a willing servant, Here I am, God. How can I serve you? Take your son, your only son, the son you love so much, your son Isaac, and go down with him to one of the mountains in Moriah. And there, Abraham, there I want you to offer him up as a sacrifice to me. How would you feel if you had waited a hundred years for the promise of God for you? How would you feel with all your hopes for the future placed in this one child? How would you feel if this only child, this child you dearly loved, suddenly all of this looked like it would just come to an end and you were asked with your own hand to destroy this one who meant so much to you? Abraham waited only long enough for the darkness of the night to pass before he set out to obey God's command. Abraham found himself facing the gravest crisis in all of his hundred plus years. And for two long days they traveled. The distance from Beersheba to Mount Moriah or Jerusalem as we know it today took 21 hours by donkey's pace. No easy journey for a man of Abraham's years. But more difficult than the long ride was what waited at journey's end. And for two long, excruciating days, Abraham must have questioned God in his mind. God, how can you make such wonderful and glorious promises? How can you do the impossible, a miracle, God? That's what it was. You performed a miracle for me. And how can you now just throw it all away after all this child has meant to me? God, are you contradicting yourself? Are you going back on your word? God, if this is what I have to go through to follow you after all of these years, I'd rather quit. I'd rather give up. God, where is your goodness? I'm confused. 
Are you like those horrible, bloodthirsty, pagan gods? Is that what you are? I didn't think you were like that. Child sacrifice was not uncommon in the religion of Ur that Abraham came from. Human sacrifice was not unusual in the primitive, cruel religions of the nations around, especially the Canaanite religion. God had seemed so different from those nasty pagan gods, but now, now what? And yet, Abraham obeyed. At the base of the mountains, Abraham and Isaac left their two servants, the ones who came with them. Abraham lifted the wood off of the donkey and onto his son's youthful shoulders. He took the sad burden of the knife and the fire pot in his own hands, and the two of them walked what must have been the most painful steps of Abraham's life. Where's the lamb, father? The boy asked. Forcing back his emotion and steadying his voice, Abraham said, God will provide, my son. All too soon they arrived at the place, and slowly, as only his age would allow, Abraham built an altar there and laid the wood on the altar and then tied up his precious son and placed him to upon the wood. Through all of this, the quiet, responsive son said not a word. Abraham unsheathed the knife, looking at it for a moment, glistening in the sun, and then quickly, so as not to have to look at his son's questioning eyes, brandished it above his head, ready to plunge it into the heart of this promised child, the one he loved, when he heard, Abraham, Abraham, stop. Don't harm the lad. What, Lord? By now the tears streaming down his weathered cheeks, his hand trembling in the air. Stop, Abraham, for now I know that you really fear me. Now I know that you really trust me. I'm not like the pagan gods of Ur and Babylon and the Canaanites around. I love my children. I won't abuse those who follow me. If there's a sacrifice to be made, it will be my sacrifice, Abraham, not yours. I will provide. And say, Abraham looked up and there found a ram caught in the bushes behind him, the substitute to be offered in the place of his son. Cruel story. Well, it would seem so. It wasn't an unusual story in Abraham's day. And yet it's a beautiful story. A story of a man's great love for his son and yet his greater love for God. It's a story that I want us to see this morning in two parallels. First, a parallel between Abraham's actions and God's work on the cross of Calvary, 2,000 years in Abraham's future. But secondly, a parallel between Abraham's attitude of faith and the trusting submission God desires to see in us. Since the beginning of his story, this man Abraham had seen God's faithfulness over and over again. He ventured out into the unknown at the call of God and 
God had proven trustworthy, a wonderful friend. Every time when it seemed like Abraham was in over his head, when it seemed like tragedy was just over the hill, God had always stepped in and brought Abraham through. God had never gone back on his promises, and Abraham obeyed and followed because he knew God was trustworthy. He followed by faith, even when he could not understand. Last Sunday... We read Hebrews 11, these words. By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had received the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could raise the dead. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, writing about this text, said, that Abraham had to learn that the promise depended on God and not on Isaac. Now, Abraham had never seen a resurrection, and yet he knew God could produce one. If God could give him a son when it was humanly impossible for Sarah to conceive, he knew that nothing was impossible for God. And so even before he mounted that hill, Abraham had the assurance in his heart that he and Isaac would return down that hill. You see that back in verse 5 of chapter 22, Genesis. He said to the servants, we will be back. This was a man of faith who could be tested and found obeying and trusting because he knew God was faithful and because he was a man who trusted God with everything. God used him as a beautiful picture lesson of what God would in the future himself do for us. You see, this event does not stand alone. It's not just one solitary event in the life of an old Bible hero. In this event, God was foreshadowing, foretelling, hinting at what he himself would do on the cross. God chose the man, Abraham, a man of faith, God directed the act, the sacrifice of a son. God chose the place, the mountain of Moriah. A thousand years later, David would build a city there and call it Jerusalem. Another thousand years, another son of promise would lie there on the wood. And if Abraham could have seen through those 2,000 years, he would have known that God never asks you or me to do what he himself refuses to do. For on that same mountain, God reenacted the sacrifice with his own precious son of promise. And on Calvary, on that same mountain, a cross was raised and Jesus died. Let's see if I can show you how similar the events. Let me read again those verses in Genesis 22. And this time, replace a few words. God for Abraham, replace the word altar with the word cross. I'll substitute Jesus for Isaac. And maybe you'll see the parallel. When they reached the place, the Lord built a cross there and arranged the wood of it. He bound Jesus, his son, and laid him on the cross on top of the wood. 
Then God reached out his hand and took the nails and spear to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out, wait a minute, there's some things that don't fit here. There is a dramatic parallel, but there's a dramatic difference. And you see it, don't you? Because when God decided to sacrifice his son, there was no one who could overrule him. There was no substitute because Jesus already was the substitute, my substitute. Jesus, the Son of God, was the substitute. We deserve to be there on that cross of Calvary. Our sins placed us there. But God gave his son as our substitute, as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He died there in our place. Abraham must have struggled. God, are you like the cruel gods of the pagan nations? Do you, like them, require the death of innocent children to appease a merciless false God. But God is saying, I am not like that, Abraham. I am not like the gods you escaped. I'm not like those bloodthirsty evil gods of Canaan. I myself, I will pay the price. I myself will sacrifice my son for you. This is a price you cannot pay, but I will pay. How great was Abraham's sacrifice? His hand was stopped. How great was Abraham's sacrifice? Not nearly as great as God's himself. For no angel could stop God's hand. No voice from heaven said stop. And God never once hesitated to sacrifice his son for us. He loves us that much. Do you know what God asks in return? Surely God must demand something in return for such a great sacrifice. But no, God demands nothing. He simply requests these two things. Only your willingness to accept by faith the forgiveness of the cross he provides. God sacrificed boldly what you could not give, to give you freely what you could not earn. And he simply invites you to take it. The second thing God asks is that you trust him by faith. By faith, trust him to direct your life. He wants you, like Abraham, to come to know him to discover his faithfulness, his goodness, his loveliness, his grace, and to trust your living into his loving hands. And here's the parallel between Abraham's faith and the trust God desires in us. Abraham trusted God's goodness and placed everything, literally everything, his hope for the future, the future of his family, everything dear to him, Abraham laid in God's faithful hands. And do you know what? There is no better place for the things you love than to place them in God's capable, strong, wise hands. What a test of faith. What a test of Abraham's love. 
Did he love God enough to trust him with his son? Did he love his son enough to commit him to God? What a test of his obedience. You know, none of us obeys a God we do not trust. And none of us trusts a God we will not obey. And that's what faith is about. Faith in God is not the cheap words that says, oh yeah, I believe there's a God. Real faith, as we saw it last Sunday, is giving God your life. Giving God his right to be master and boss of where your life is headed. That's faith. Trusting God with the steering wheel of your life. Giving him the car keys. Letting the other priorities fall away. And fixing your eyes on him. By faith, we read it. Abraham followed God. By faith, Abraham trusted God and obeyed God. By faith, Abraham received from God. In obedient, surrendered faith, Abraham made a mark for God that will stand for time and eternity. Many people wonder, what's the secret of God's blessing? What's the secret of spiritual greatness? Here's a clue right here in Genesis 22:16. I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. And through your offspring, all nations of the earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. Have you trusted God that way? Have you placed that kind of faith in him? Are you trusting that way? Are you living that way? Until you surrender all, you'll never know the depths of spiritual maturity. You'll never know the heights of spiritual joy. You'll never know the breadth of spiritual blessing. You'll never discover the awesome plans that God has for you until you are willing to give him all. Are your dreams laid on his altar? Are your loves placed at his feet? Are your passions laid before him? Are your dreams his to complete? Are ambitions offered to him? All friendships his to control? Until your dearest loved ones are offered, there'll be an uneasiness down in your soul. Let me ask a simple question. Is there something in your heart that means more to you than obeying the Lord? You'll never find the greatness God has planned for your life while, it, while that stands as a barrier to your obedient faith. Submission is the kind of faith that makes you great. Do you trust the Lord enough to let him have it all? For Abraham, the crisis of faith was not so much one of sacrifice as it was one of willingness. God's plan was not to take Isaac away from him, but to give him back, more precious still. 
from the beginning that substitutionary ram was, was in God's mind. But we never really are blessed with anything until we release it back into God's control, into God's hand. Let me tell you a story in closing. Harriet and I had a very dear friend in college. Ingrid was her name. And during those years we were in college, we, we watched this dear friend slowly lose her eyesight. She had a degenerative disease that caused the little blood vessels in her eyes to, to burst. And, and little by little, Ingrid went blind. When first she found out what was happening, she was angry with God. First, they took away her, her horn. She was a music major and a fantastic French horn player. But the pressure of blowing into her instrument caused pressure in her eyes, caused more burst blood vessels. And then they took away her driver's license. And after trying all the medical solutions and finding none, after laser beam surgery and medication by the pound, they told her there was nothing more that they could do and that her sight would eventually be lost to her. And it was then that she placed her faith firmly and trustingly in the Lord and realized that her eyesight was not nearly as important to her as her relationship with God. She loved him more. I wish you could have met this lady. She had a marvelous testimony of what it involved to give all to the Lord. God powerfully used her. She had a wonderful testimony of what it means to trust God, so much so that she would entrust her hopes and her dreams and her talents and her future to God and lay it at his, his feet, even if that meant life in the dark. I wish I could tell you Ingrid had a long, wonderful life. Her testimony was powerful, and she shared it openly and often around Cleveland, Ohio, where she lived. But God's plan also involved her death at 42 years of age. And even in her death, she was glorifying God. What kind of faith do you have? Are there limits on your commitment? Does crisis and trial and frustration and confusion, does that destroy your faith or build your faith? Abraham's faith meant that whatever he had, whatever he owned, was God's to use and God's to control. And that's the kind of faith that honors God and that God honors in you. That's the kind of faith that really brings spiritual security because it is faith in the one who really holds and controls the future but also is so good that every struggle of faith is filled with his huge blessing. Our life of faith begins when we first receive God's gift of forgiveness. Sinners need a Savior. And sinners can't save themselves. We will never be good enough or religious enough to gain eternal life. By faith, we receive the gift we cannot earn. But the life of faith continues and grows as we learn to follow our good and wonderful Father who knows how to bless us and lead us and help us and carry us even when it's difficult, even when life is crazy and uncertain. 
even when it's a struggle, even when it's hard, there will be joy in the journey. Will you pray with me? Lord, thank you so much for this uh, powerful story of Abraham who learned through the trials and struggles of life to trust you and to obey you. Thank you, God. We see so clearly that there's no better way to do life than letting you lead us, letting you strengthen us, letting you take us through the hard times. We want our faith to grow. And so, God, as your children, here we are just saying, Lord, the best we know how, we lay it all down. All of our expectations, all of our requirements, all of our hopes, we lay them down before you. Take them and receive us as your servants. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.